Well, we have just heard, I think, one of the most um, powerful, comforting, yet surprising stories recorded about Jesus. Uh, it's only found in Mark. Uh, but Mark tells us, and he's, we've been following through Mark's gospel, he tells us that Jesus has just finished now this major retreat that he's taken with his disciples. He took them out of the country. He wanted time alone with them. He went up to the region of Sire, or Tyre and Sidon, uh, way to the north of Galilee. And now he has worked his way back. He's cut through Galilee, but he's crossed over um, the Jordan, so he's in the Decapolis, the Ten Cities. This was a mixed area. Uh, Jews and Gentiles are alike living in these cities and around these cities. Uh, but apparently his reputation preceded him because, again, we read, as Mark says, that as he came and when he came, some people brought to him a man who was deaf, Mark says, and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. That's a touching scene. It's a wonderful scene. But here is even the more comforting part. Uh, Jesus did not take this as uh, an opportunity to make a spectacle of himself. In fact, he did quite the opposite. We read that Jesus took the man aside from the crowd privately. He took him aside privately. And then he made sure the man who was deaf and had an impediment understood what he was about to do for him, right? He took his fingers and placed them in the man's ears. Something's going to happen, right? He spit into the ground uh, and then touched his tongue. Something's going to happen. He looked up to heaven and he sighed praying. And then he looked him straight in the eyes and said one word, Ephatha. Mark is helpful. He says it means be opened. And it was open. Mark says that uh, his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. That is a remarkably comforting story. If you are in any kind of a strait today, take comfort that you too can be brought to him and you too can receive that kind of attention from him. This is Jesus at his core. Right. Uh, you can imagine that this caused quite a stir. He might have been away privately, but he wasn't all in private. He could see, people could see what had happened. And we read from Mark that they, the ones who had brought him to, the, to Jesus, were astonished beyond measure. I don't know what they expected, but they didn't expect this. <laughs> they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. These must have been Jewish people because, again, they were quoting from Isaiah, the passage we read this morning. Uh, they were making a confessional statement about Jesus. 
that you are the one that Isaiah told us about, that you are the one we were coming to expect. We are astonished beyond measure because we are seeing it. We're seeing you. It's a remarkable thing and indeed a wonderful thing. But it's not the surprising thing. The surprising thing occurs a little earlier uh, in the statement, and it's this. Mark says, and Jesus, after he healed the man, charged them to tell no one. All right? He's just healed somebody. They are astonished beyond measure. And he goes, nope. <laughs> I charge you. I'm not asking you. I'm not requesting you. I am charging you. Do not tell anybody. But Mark goes on and says, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And that's what caught my attention this morning. Now, you and I might think, what's the big deal? Uh, cut the guys a break. They have just seen something absolutely remarkable. Uh, he's done all things well, astonished beyond measure. How can we expect them not to speak about these things? And yet, and yet, here is Jesus, the one they have been waiting for, telling them, charging them over and over and over again, do not, and they do. That's stunning. And Mark seems to be saying, it doesn't really matter if you are astonished by Jesus. In fact, I'd be surprised if you weren't astonished by Jesus. There'd be something wrong with you if you're not astonished by Jesus. And it's not even um, enough to make good confessions about Jesus to actually speak the truth about this one. He is the one who does all things well. He even opens up the eyes of the blind and the deaf ears are hearing. But if we do not go on from that to obedience, listening to this one, we are missing the point. In fact, gravely missing the point. It is not a good thing to not go on to obedience. Now that jumped off the page to me this week uh, because I also was reading it in context with our epistle reading. And I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles and open up to James chapter 1. Uh, because again, there's a reason why these things are placed side by side. James, uh, we're, we pick up on the 17th verse of his first chapter, so we miss a lot. But he is addressing a community of people who have been astonished by Jesus. They have been led to make uh, true confessions about him. They have been born anew by the word of truth, we are told. But they are now struggling with moving on to obedience. They are where the folks in the Decapolis were. Astonished beyond measure, good confession, no obedience, right? And James is struggling with them to say, let's get you out of that so that you can actually move into obedience, right? Now they're struggling 
because of two things in the first 16 verses, because of the trials that they are encountering and the temptations that they are beset with. Trials and, te and temptations, external bad circumstances and internal confusion, temptations, that have caused them to doubt the goodness and power of God. And James spends 16 verses saying, don't do that. Don't let your trials and temptations cause you to doubt God. Let your temptations and your trials lead you to distrust yourself. <laughs> because he ends verse 16 by saying this, do not be deceived, my brothers and my sister. Meaning, you are being deceived. <laughs> you are right now big time being deceived and you are in trouble because of that. Do not be deceived by these trials and temptations. Uh, obviously, these things are now preventing them from moving on into obedience. And so the question is then, how does James help them to deal with these things so that they can truly move on into that obedient life? And that, I believe, is what James addresses in our text this morning. And again, I found it very helpful, um, and I just want to walk through it very quickly. Um, he begins with an amazing general statement, and James is pithy to the nth degree. But here's what he says. He says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What a great statement about God. And he goes on and says, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. James says, Let's start at the beginning. Everything good, everything perfect comes from God. It comes to us, and this is who he is, and this is what he does. He is good beyond measure, and he is good to us beyond measure. These are the gifts that he gives to his creatures, and the greatest gift is the birth of a new humanity. That's what he says. He says, every good gift comes from above, and he, of his own will, he brought us forth. He gave birth to something new by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. What he's saying is, that the Creator Himself has acted in and for His creation in recent history. Through the life, death, and resurrection of the Messiah of Israel, He has acted to redeem His creation, and in and through that redemption give birth to the church, give birth to this new humanity, the renewed steward of God for the creation of God according to the story of God. 
That's what he's saying. That's the big picture. Christ has come, and Christ has come in order to give birth to this new community. And we are it. But only if we move on to the obedience of faith. Right? That's a wondrous statement, folks. You are the lights of the world. That's your call. You are the new humanity of God for the new creation of God. You are to be the first fruits of a bountiful harvest. That's who we are. So how do we get there? Well, he goes on to start speaking about this, and he says this, know this, know this. You who have been deceived by other things, know this beyond anything else. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Know this. This is the tacit knowledge that the church must have. Uh, now, the question that I ask is, who are we to listen to and how are we to listen to? And the obvious answer is we are to be quick to hear God speak to us. And God speaks to us, says James, through the scriptures he has given to us. Through the word of truth, he talks about, that has given us new birth. Uh, he goes on to talk in our passage about staring into, looking intently into the law, the perfect law, the royal law. He's talking about the scriptures of Israel and the New Testament, which is now added to it. James is just expressing what the church has said down through the ages. That the one who created us, the one who has redeemed us, and the one who is now wanting to renew us as his new stewards, speaks to us through that history that he himself has made to be recorded of his saving of us. He says, I'm going to speak to you by what I have done for you through this history, this particular history that begins with creation and ends with new creation, that has Abraham as one beginning and the Christ of the Messiah of Israel as its climax. God speaks to us, speaks through the scriptures in the midst of our trials and temptations. That's what James is saying. And we are to be quick to not read them, hear them. Hear the God who speaks through them. Slow to speak, because we are wanting to interrupt them, right? We're saying, no, 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 we don't want that story. We want a different story. We want my story to be told. Listen to me. I got something I want to tell you. And he says, no, 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 no. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, because we're prone to speak. We want our story to get out there. And slow to anger. 
wise person said, our anger usually comes because we feel thwarted in our desires or our purposes. Somebody gets in our way and we go, oh, I'm angry. It is our, our desires, our self-deceived desires, James says, that cause us to want to speak. And we are angry because they are being impeded by this word that God is speaking to us. But they're being impeded because they are death for us. That's what he's saying. Be quick to hear the God who speaks through these scriptures and be slow yourself down with the idea of you needing to speak and especially you getting angry that you are being thwarted. That's where James begins. But he doesn't stop there, he goes on. He says, we are to be quick to hear. But then he goes on to say this. He says, uh, therefore, uh, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. Now again, I found that fascinating. Uh, I expected to see be quick to hear this God who speaks to us, but he goes on to say, now, after you hear, receive. Receive with meekness, with humility. Receive the gifts that he has given to you. See, the way that God gives us those good and perfect gifts that come from above is by speaking into our lives. But he speaks into our lives that we might receive those gifts that he desires to give to us. So you need to be quick to hear that you may be meekly able to receive what only he can give to you. Quick to hear, receive with meekness the implanted word. That's the gift. New life, new humanity, new creation. But he goes on, there's one more thing. He says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Uh, this is the contrast now. He says, look, I'm addressing that issue. Uh, you have been amazed by Jesus. You have made a, a good confession about Jesus, but you're not yet obeying him. You're not yet doing what he is asking you to do. And if you do not go on to obey him, you are still being self-deceived. <laughs> he says that's your option. You either hear, receive, and then do, act on what you have heard and received, or you will hear and receive and be still self-deceived one or the other. And there is no middle ground. And he goes on to contrast what it's like to be one or the other. He talks about a man looking at his natural face in a mirror. Uh, again, knowing a little bit about ancient cultures, uh, they did not have uh, clear, shiny mirrors like we do. It was a fairly uh, opaque kind of looking that he was doing not very clear, but he was staring at it intently, trying to figure out who he is, right? And he says, now contrast that with somebody who stares into the Word of God. 
And the contrast is really quite simple. We all are asking the big questions in life. We're all asking, who am I? Right? We're all asking, why am I here? We're all asking, where am I going? What is my destiny? How do I get there? What am I to do? Those are the big questions in life. Every single human being asks those questions, whether they ask it uh, assumed or articulated. But we all ask those same questions over and over again. The only difference is where we find our answers. Do we answer those questions by our reflection by the world, or do we answer those questions through our study of the Word. Those are the two options. You can look at your physical self and see yourself reflected by the world around you like in a dull mirror. Or you can go to the source of truth, to the one who is telling you how he has created you. That's the difference. That is where we need to come. We are to be quick to hear. We are to be humble in receiving. And we are to move on into doing, acting on what we hear and what we receive from this giver of all good gifts. That's what James tells us. So what do we do with this? How do we take this and actually begin to act on it ourselves? And I just want to suggest uh, a very simple thing that will help us if we embrace it to do what I think James is asking us to do. The first thing is this. You and I need to commit to a pattern of exposing ourselves to the Scriptures. That's a no-brainer. If God, who has made us in His image and who has redeemed us through the one who is His image, has come and it desires to speak to us through His Word, through what He has already spoken about what He has done, then we need to expose ourselves to the Scriptures, or else we will not hear Him speak. So you need to commit to a pattern of exposing yourselves to the Scriptures in the midst of your trials and your temptations, in the midst of the life that you're leading. You are not leading any other life. You take that life and expose it to the Word of God, and something good can happen. Right? Now, the wonder of being an Anglican is we have a unique way of doing that. We have the daily office with the daily lectionary that simply says, here is a means, if you want it, take it, use it, and you will commit to that pattern of exposure. And I would urge you, if you do not have a way right now, to at least begin, embrace this one. This is your tribe. 
This is who we are. This is what we do. Just do it. But remember, James says, do not be quick to read, but quick to hear. So if you commit to exposing yourselves to Scripture, I would say take up a journal. Now, I am, I'm a big proponent of journaling. Uh, take something to read or to write on as you are listening as you read the Scriptures, listening for the voice of God speaking to you in the midst of your trials, your circumstances, and your temptations, your own warped deceptions. And I would say, ask three questions of yourselves after you have read whatever it is that the lectionary tells you to read. And the first question simply is this, Father, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Write that question out and then go, having read what I read, having Uh, knowing what I'm struggling with right now, what is it that you are wanting me to take from this? What are you saying to me? And write it down. It really is helpful. What is going to impinge on my life right now because of these texts that I've just read? What are you saying? Go on, though, to ask What am I to receive from you? Because again, we are quick to hear, but we are to receive with meekness. God wants to give gifts to us as he speaks to us. So what is it that you are to receive from him from the text that you have just heard? It may be a gift of forgiveness. It may be um, a gift of mercy. It may be a gift of insight into his character or into your identity. You are the light of the world. That jumped off the page at me this morning. I don't often believe it. It's true. Right? What am I to receive from you through these texts? But don't stop there. Go on to ask the third question. James is the most important question. What am I to do with this? What are you asking of me? How do I act now in the light of what you have spoken to me, in the light of what you have given to me? What do I do now with this in the midst of my trials and my temptations? That's James's pattern for moving from just being astonished by Jesus, by making good confessions about Jesus, into being doers of the word and the gifts that he has given. James says, if we do these things, that you and I will be blessed in our doing, and the world around us will see the first fruits of God's creatures. It's important not simply for us, but for those that God also wants to speak to around us. Quick to hear, 
Meek in receiving. Intentional in acting. And you will be blessed. Let us pray. Just respond as you are led. Just take a moment. in your mercy. And would you stand with me?